Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now, we are going to listen to the silver-throated tones of an old man. An old man that has been there, done that, climbed that, swum that, and lived that. Here he is, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. You never cease to amaze me with your intros. Boy, I'll tell you what, sometimes we've got to scratch the paint off the bottom of the barrel there a little bit. I know, I know. Well, it's been five and a half years we've been doing this, you know. You know, and it's been fun. I have more people come up to me on the street and say, why hasn't that man been arrested? No, that's not what they say. They say that is the most enjoyable segment on the radio. They just really enjoy it. Well, good, good. I Well, I enjoy it, and I think you do, too. It's, it's kind of a fun Kind of a fun hobby. You know, and so. where would I be, honestly, where would I be had it not been for our uh, friendship and our getting to know each other on this radio? I would never have enjoyed Maple Bars with Bacon. And that's coming up in a few months. I'm looking forward to it. Me too, because that's the only time I get them too. You know, I laugh every time I think about that, because here's about six or seven great big six-foot-five, 240-pound bulldoggers standing up there in the secretary's office, and I'm chomping down on a maple bar with bacon, and they looked at me like, ooh, and I go, this is good, try it. And then all of them ate the whole dadgum box of them. <laughs> You're going to have to start, start hiding them. Yeah, I know. What are you going to talk about today? Well, you know, last week I talked about the uh, the soldiers on the frontier. And, oh, yeah. And the cavalry and yeah. their saddles and their horses and it, one thing and another. And you were curious about the food situation. Well, I am because, you know, I've been on this diet. And this diet is ugly. It's like I might as well just eat a cardboard box for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And really, in the old days, they didn't have uh, very decent food to take with them. And if they did take it with them, boy, I mean, it probably had mold on it and everything else. Tell us about how they ate. Well, okay. Uh, let's say you're a soldier, you're a cavalry guy or, or infantry, either one. But, you know, whenever possible, the soldiers in the field tried to find a good campsite near water not only for themselves, but, of course, for their animals, the horses and the mules. Well, uh, if the horses were not in good shape, you know, uh, of course, they wouldn't be able to move. They had to have those horses watered and fed and grained and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, they could carry some water in the wagons, but, <clears throat> of course, that capacity was limited. And so it was very, very important that they find rivers, streams, lakes, or ponds or whatever. So now mules, of course, they can go a little longer without water, and uh, but horses they can't. You know, they've, they've you've been around horses enough; they've got to have their water. That's so, right. That's and right. And in fact, a few of the soldiers, their journals have mentioned that, uh, you know, when the water isn't there, I mean, sometimes obviously the horses die; they just don't make it. Mm-hmm. So, yep. But likewise, before seeing to their own needs, the cavalrymen they had to take care of the horses, and as soon as they stopped to make camp. The men would unsaddle water, feed their animals, curry them down, brush them, whatever. Uh, now, if the campsite was in a grassy area, of course, the animals could graze, uh, but the horses also needed grain. And I mentioned that last time that that's one reason that the cavalry horses stayed fairly healthy all year round, because they would grain them uh, and carry grain with them, mm-hmm. which was, like I say, transported along with the men's tr- uh, provisions, uh, sometimes in the wagons, sometimes they'd carry it in their saddlebags. And of course, the horses could be uh, tethered out to the to you know a picket pin or tied to a tree, and and pretty well eat what was available. But 
while the animals were tended to, among the first tasks in setting up camp was making fires for cooking. Well, generally there's a few men that were assigned to go out and gather firewood, or where there were no trees or anything, why, they got the old good old buffalo chips. And, uh, of course, these dry droppings were, they also called them prairie coal or Dakota soft coal or... They had other nicknames that we probably shouldn't go into. Mm. Uh, no, go ahead. I think you should tell everybody really historically what they were called. So go ahead. Well, that, that's all it says is other nicknames. So we'll leave that. We'll leave that to the imagination. Okay. Uh, so anyway, sometimes you know if the troops were close to hostiles, why fires were not allowed, and because you know, they didn't want to give away their position. So this meant that they had to eat cold rations and and do without coffee. You know and. So, um, you know, the field rations basically consisted of dried, salted meats such as salt pork, bacon, mm. uh, dried beef, hardtack, coffee and sugar with dried fruit occasionally. Now, you asked last week about hardtack. Yeah. So I did a little little research on that. Yeah, no, I was, I was wrong, wasn't I? I want to kind of bare my chest on this a little bit. I said it was like a hockey puck type biscuit. It's not really, is it? Well, it, it, it's... Sort of. It really could be because uh, basically it was made with wa uh, water and flour, and sometimes they added salt. Oh. And what they would do is they would bake them uh, sometimes from two to four times to get them really, really hard. And uh, in fact, if they baked them four times, they were r really hard. And those were the kind that oftentimes went uh, on uh, on board ships that were going you know, out for a year on uh, on the ocean. Well, and how did you bite into them? I mean, you had to shoot them first with a Colt 45 or what? Well, I'm looking at some pictures of uh, different types of hardtack. Some of them actually look like crackers. Some of them during uh, the Civil War were actually stamped with a, a design of some kind <laughs> to indicate uh, where they were from. Okay. Um, but it was really kind of a food staple because you could always have the hardtack and it would never go bad i mean uh the only bad thing was uh, you'd get weevil in it weevil and so what they would do is they would soak their hardtack in their coffee and the weevil would die and float to the top and you'd just kind of scrape off the weevil off the top of your coffee and then you'd drink your coffee and eat your hardtack i can't imagine why we always do this just prior to having our luncheon specials on my program <laughs> Well, yeah, this isn't as bad as some of the things we've talked about, but, but this hardtack, that was, it was a staple. I mean, for years, like say, not only in the infantry, in the military, the cavalry, but on the ocean-going vessels. So hardtack was a, really, like say, it was like a, a super cracker, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. So, But, you know, the supply wagons, uh, they carried these basics, and they carried flour, beans, peas, rice, vinegar, and other items, and... And then each man actually carried his own rations, which they would replenish from the wagons every few days. And one problem that commanders had to watch for was men eating all their rations on the first day of a march oh. and left them with nothing for the feed for the next few days. I, I mean, see. they had to ration ration out what they got. So, but before 1872, field cooking was typically done as a company using big old uh, cast iron pots, you know, the uh, Dutch ovens, I suppose. But uh, after that, personal cooking gear was issued, and each man prepared his own meal. So the soldier's two-piece mess kit consisted of a frying pan and a shallow tin plate fitted on the top of that. 
and other utensils. Usually they had a tin cup, a knife, a fork, a spoon. Um, salt pork and bacon were usually boiled first and then fried. And like say the the hardtack was usually put in water or coffee to soften it, and, and then they would actually fry it in a pan with the pork grease. Well, no, I got a question. I got a question there. You said the okay. bacon was broiled or boiled first. B- boiled. First. Why? Why? You know, I, I wondered that myself. I don't know why they boiled it first, unless it was just so tough that they. Uh, unless it. Well, another thing is sanitation-wise, oh. it probably helped. Uh, some of the bugs that were in the bacon or the salt pork. Well, yeah, take it, okay, your bacon. Okay, now, we're so cautious today that everything has to be just right. But right. now, they're out there in 100-degree weather, riding all day from like 7 in the morning until like 5 at night, and then they pull off that sw- saddle and they get into their saddlebags, and they open up uh, maybe some salt pork or some bacon, and after being on the trail for a week or two weeks, this stuff has got to have a whole bunch of other things hanging on to it. I mean, this has got to be ugly. Yes, and and that's, that's another good reason why they probably boiled the heck out of it and then fried the heck out of it. <laughs> but, and the hardtack, you know, like I say, it was hard because they, they baked it from two to four times, but it would get damp when they were riding, and quite often it would uh, grow mold, or, or it would get the weevil in it. And oh, my goodness. Like, hey, then they'd put it in their coffee or their water, and the weevil would just float to the top. They'd scoop them off and, uh, and had, a, had dinner. You so, know, one of the things I've noticed, though, in all the Western books that you want to read, and I've got literally thousands of Western books here in my office and in my bedroom that I just read religiously, the number one drink in the Old West was always coffee. They would beg, borrow, and steal to have a cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, it was a pick-me-up, and it was a hot drink when you were cold. Uh, yeah, it was. that was one of the very, very staples of, of all the Western, you know, the miners, the pioneers, the... The, all those guys. Now, I did notice in one book I was reading about Texas after the fall of the Alamo and uh, before Texas independence, a lot of times they substituted coffee with corn, kernels of corn. Oh, okay. Yeah. But actually, I've got a, this next segment. I'm going to talk about coffee a little bit. Okay. Uh, and the Army nearly always provided coffee as part of the men's rations. Okay. And they drank it, usually actually sweetened with some sugar, uh, if they had it, obviously, but uh, uh, the hot, sweet beverage was one of the few pleasures the soldiers had. I mean, it warmed them up in cold or wet weather and kept them alert. I mean, the soldiers usually received their coffee ration in the form of raw, green, whole beans. Now, what they would do is they would roast these in frying pans, and then they pounded them between two rocks or with the rifle butt. The grounds were thrown into the pan with some water and boiled for a, a while, and then this brew was allowed to sit for about 10 minutes. Now, once the ground settled to the bottom, the coffee was poured uh, off the top into a cup. Now, the experienced soldiers often roasted and ground the ration of coffee beans all at once. So they do a whole bunch at one time. And then they would mix their sugar ration in. And so this saved time later on and also assured that their brews would be evenly sweetened and they would not run out of one item before the other. So, in other words, they'd take their whole ration and uh, do what they needed to with it and then just pull out so much each day. Why wouldn't it have been a lot easier just to stop into a 7-Eleven? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, it's a good question. <laughs> but 
now another thing, you know, along the way, if conditions permitted, they were allowed to hunt deer or other game to supplement their rations in the field. And uh, there's a story about one guy. He uh, he was out trying to get a bird, and he saw one, and he shot, and he and it jumped in the air, and everybody's mouths were watering because they could imagine this juicy supper. Well. Uh, the hunter went out to get it, and he returned without the bird, and he didn't say anything. And another man went out to investigate and found out he'd shot a good old buffalo chip <laughs> instead of a bird. <laughs> when you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You know, the, the thing I'm impressed about is, though, that uh, it must have been such a mundane diet, knowing that when you got up in the morning, what were you going to have in the morning as compared to noon or evening? Yeah, I mean, you can't mix things up very much with, with what you got. No. And especially if you're out on the trail as a, as a patrol, you know, all you got is what you're carrying. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, you mentioned about uh, sanitation. Well... You know, minimal effort was spent on washing up after meals. I mean, you know, you, they were tired. Plates and utensils were usually just wa washed, uh, wiped off with uh, leaves or sand or rinsed with leftover coffee. Uh, a lot of the food preparation in the field was unsupervised, and the food itself uh, often was bad to begin with. Mm -hmm. So needless to say, various forms of intestinal distress was common in the field. Oh, please explain that for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, out here in the West, we call it the Rocky Mountain Quick Step. Well, you know, the thing I was reading in a book about uh, cattle drives coming out of Texas, uh, a lot of cowboys would look for outfits to work for during the cattle drives that had the best and the safest cooks, and that, oh, yeah. would, that would sway them on their opinion as to whether they wanted to work for that trail herd or not. And actually, I've got a whole article on on uh, Roundup cooks, and yeah. I, I'll, I'll give that one of these days. And then some of these cooks, uh, whether they were trail drives or whether they were army cooks, not exactly their personal hygiene wasn't the best. <laughs> That's exactly right. And we'll, we'll talk about that one of these days. Okay. But, you know, sometimes the supply train couldn't keep up with the soldiers, and the men had to do with uh, what they could with what they had until the wagons arrived. So, you know, troops campaigning in rough territory or on fast marches might simply travel without supply wagons. So mm -hmm. if the trek lasted longer than anticipated, the men could run out of food, water. I mean, in these cases, the soldiers were often put on even more reduced rations and might have only two meals a day. And occasionally, expeditions had to slaughter their own horses and mules. In fact, uh, one participant, uh, one guy in, in the Indian camp campaigns, he wrote, he said uh, about the unpleasantness of uh, eating a pack animal. He said, the horse meat generally has an ominous odor about it, but when you're hungry, he said, this is surpassed, you can get by it. 
fried and without salt. It's a little stringy, leathery, and nauseating. And then he said mule meat, however, is offensive in smell, taste, and uh, it's considerably fatty. So, you know, if they were desperate, they'd eat a horse. And if they were really desperate, they'd eat a mule. So I'm trying to figure out how I can salvage the rest of my noon-type advertisers. <laughs> and I'm not done yet. <laughs> Uh, but more important than having food was, of course, having good water to drink. Oh, yes. You know, obtaining an adequate supply was frequently a problem on campaigns. And in the summer months, obviously, you know, they could go weeks without rain and ponds and creeks would dry up. And, and quite often, as you read about, uh, you know, the cavalry chasing Indians, the Indians would lead them into the desert or someplace uh and the Indians knew where the water was, but they knew that the cavalry didn't, and they just lead them out and knew that they were just going to, you know, they'd just basically die out there in the desert. Yeah, so, yeah. But the water sources uh, that did exist, uh, a lot of times they were contaminated, and the Army, of course, didn't have any provisions for water purification. Uh, the troopers simply dipped their canteen, canteens into lakes, rivers, streams, ponds, and some Army surgeons did tell them to boil the water before they used it, but... You know, they, they didn't have time to, you know, if you're thirsty, you know, you're not going to uh, take an hour to boil up a bunch of water. So, so they often ignored that advice. But the men would often drink from the same water hole that the horses, and this is after the animals had stirred up mud and sediment. And in the southwest, these desert ponds were often stagnant and covered with scum, and, and a lot of them contained heavy metals and all kinds of harmful little bugs floating in them. But, I'm surprised but, that the whole doggone troop didn't have the screaming hurry-ups that they could run all the way back to the fort. <laughs> well, maybe their treks didn't go as long as they wanted on the way back. I don't know. <laughs> Frequent stop. Is that why John Wayne, is that why John Wayne rode tall in the saddle? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll move on here. <laughs> you know, it, now, however, they did have their own purification system. Uh, now, if the water looked too murky or disgusting, uh, a soldier might strain it through his shirt, or he'd take off his sock oh, and come on. strain oh. it through his sock. <laughs> now you did it. You yeah, just tipped you over the apple cart right now. Strain yeah. the water through their socks? Yeah, and, you know, I'm sure they probably wore the same socks for, you know, more than one day. Hey, Bernie, but, you want some water? I'm going to strain it through my socks. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe that. I wouldn't even strain it through mine that I only wear once a day. Oh. But, uh, and, you know, unfortunately, they got sick, and some even died from drinking the contaminated water that had the bacteria, the parasites, the viruses, toxic metals. I mean, yeah, it, it, it was dangerous, not only, you know, with Indians and one thing or another, but, you know, just the very existence to staying alive with water and food. Would you promise me something that if you and I go on a trail ride across the desert, would you promise me that you're going to take adequate water supplies? Because I would hate to have something happen, and you start taking off your socks, and I'm running as fast as I can. <laughs> you know, actually, last week I was up in Boise for the state tournament, and uh, they had this outdoor expo over at the fairgrounds every year. Yeah. And I went in there, and as I was walking around, they had these, uh, they looked like uh, kind of a water, uh, uh, oh, like about a quart water jug thing that has, you can put water in it, and as you squeeze it out, it comes out pure and clean, and it'll do, I think, like 150 gallons. So I bought a couple of those. Did you? 
Yeah, and they were, they were I think, 20 bucks a piece. And uh, so, you know, I think it's a good idea to have those on hand, you know, or if you're, if you're heading up in the mountains, you know, because, you know, we just, we just can't, uh, you can't drink water up in the mountains like we did when, when I was a kid. And let me tell you something. I am a victim back in the 80s of having that Girardia. And there is nothing more disconcerting than having that. Yeah. It's bad well, stuff. I, was, I went on a whitewater trip uh, as a Boy Scout when I was about 14. Yeah. And at that time, you could just drink water right out of the middle fork of the Salmon River. Yeah. And they told us, you know, no problem, just, you know, uh, but that was that was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So That was still when they circled wagons at night, wasn't it? <laughs> Oh, that was a great trip. That's Middle Park. I don't know if you've ever been on. I have. I have. Beautiful country. Absolutely. Bighorn sheep. And uh, I've got a little story sometime I'll tell you about uh, some guys that were packing mules into the Middle Fork and had a little disaster in there. But, but you know, I'm more concerned about it. If you go on a camping trip and you don't know the guy that you're going to be staying at his cabin or something, and you see him get out of bed early in the morning and start straining water through his socks for coffee, I would suggest (laughs) you say you don't don't prefer any coffee in the morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll I'll just go with water. Yeah, thank you. Not strained water. You could be like you could be like John, uh, or not John, but Double uh, O Seven, James Bond. You could say uh, just pure, not strained, <laughs> yeah, not stirred, not shaken. Just give me the water on top. Oh, Doc, you did a great job on research. Uh, one quick question, short answer, because I'm almost out of time. Um, but basically, when they got back to the fort, did the diet improvement uh, take place, or were they subjected to just low class? Food? food all the time okay i actually have a, a little section on that but we don't have time it's, it's not very long but they did have better better situations they had a kitchen equipped with oh, okay. stove and utensils and well, can you talk you know, about that they, next week uh well yeah i could probably do that uh i don't have a lot on that there's a little bit but i can okay. go into that and the roundup fare that they used uh, on the, that the cooks and the wagons on the uh, on the trail drive. Did they ever have such a thing as a good old peach pie? You know, they did occasionally. Oh yeah. my! I mean, you know, if they happened to get uh, some some type of fruit or vegetables or, or not vegetables, fruit or you know, apples, pears, something. Yeah, they could. They could get something, but that didn't happen very often. No. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest doctor history on our program this morning, and I can't wait for next Tuesday. He does a wonderful job. Doc, God bless you, man. Thanks for your friendship, and thanks for being on the air. You bet. You have a good day, Zach. All right. Thank you. Bye. What a nice man, and I mean that. He is really a nice, nice man. Doctor history.